0: Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. You may also follow along on page 8 of the bulletin. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God... Tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord.
1: You were here last week. We, we started a, a new series on the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Luke. <clears throat> this is a really important passage. Uh, three of the four gospels, uh, the gospel accounts, they refer to this particular narrative of Jesus speaking directly with Satan. Uh, Jesus is in the wilderness. He's been there for 40 days. And Satan says, you're hungry. Why don't you make some bread? <clears throat> and Jesus responds, man does not live by bread alone, and he doesn't indulge. What does that tell you? <clears throat> Excuse me. It tells you that being a Christian uh, doesn't make you immune to suffering. And being a Christian doesn't make you immune to the wilderness. It doesn't make you immune to temptation. But being a Christian does give you a greater reality, a greater power to deal with suffering and to deal with temptation. So we're gonna be looking at three things today. Uh, we're gonna to be looking at the context, who suffers, who's tempted, where are you tempted, when are you tempted. Uh, we're gonna look at context, the lessons from it, and lastly, the power to deal with it. The context of our temptations, the lessons that we draw from it, lastly, uh, the power to deal with it. First, we're gonna look at the context who or when, you know, who suffers, who's tempted, when do we suffer or experience temptation. In the previous chapter, it says that when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came down. And there God is looking at his son and he affirms his son. He's doting on his son. He says, you are my son with with whom whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And so in this passage now, verse 1, Jesus, he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's got the presence of God. And and that's how he begins his ministry, with the fullness of the presence of God. But immediately after that, what happens? It says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Now, think about this. Jesus, he wasn't in a low place in his life. He was in a high place. He was filled with the presence of God. And, And yet, what happens? He was sent into the wilderness. He was sent into the desert, this dry place. He was tempted by, the, by Satan. In other words, suffering, it doesn't happen at the low point of Jesus's life, it actually happens at a high point. And so if Jesus, if Jesus, if he can experience suffering, suffering and temptation during one of the highest points in his life, well then anyone, at any point in time, anywhere can experience suffering and temptation. All of life is filled with suffering. All of life is filled with temptation. There are people in this room right now, a lot of us, when we're tempted, we tend to think, it's because I'm weak, it's because I'm spiritually poor. No, not according to this passage. Because this passage shows us, one, it can happen to anyone, anytime, place, And secondly, notice, Jesus was sent. He was led by the Spirit into this wilderness. That means that there has to be a purpose. There was a meaning to this. After this text, verses 14 to 15, it says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. It's not printed in your bulletins, but you can see it in your Bibles. In verse 14 and 15, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. That means that he came full of the Spirit, and at the end of the passage, he returned in the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit. That means he's still full of the Spirit, even after the suffering, even after the temptation. So verses 1 to 14, they're like bookends, At the beginning of the text, he was filled. At the end of the text, he's filled. Whenever you see bookends like this in the Bible, that means that the passage is showing us what or how you're being filled in between. And you see this all over in the Bible, over and over in the Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 16, David, he is anointed. He's just been anointed as king. The text says immediately after what happens, the Spirit of God rushes into David's life. The Spirit of God floods David's life. That's the only way he's going to survive. And yet, from that point on, what do you see? Is he at a high place? Is he at a high point all of his life? No. From that point on, chapter 17, right after the next chapter, he faces Goliath. Chapters 18 to 20, he pretty much loses his his mentor. He loses his friend, his best friend. And he's now hiding in caves. He's fighting in a civil war. People are after his life. He faces death every day pretty much for a large period of his life. Lots of suffering lots of temptation. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. Over and over, you see this number, 40. What does that mean? Because you see it almost recurring throughout the Bible. After God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, they received the law. What happened after that? Moses goes up, receives the law. He encounters God. It's a high place. They say he was radiant. For the next 40 years, they're sent into the wilderness. They're sent into the wilderness. And they wandered for 40 years before God brought them into the promised land. The number 40 represents God's people over and over, failing. God's people over and over, disobedient, rebellious, distrusting of God. And so God sends Jesus into the desert. Why? For 40 days, where we failed, Jesus goes to represent his people. He takes our place. Over and over in the Bible, we fail we're failing in the wilderness, failing in our suffering, failing in our temptation. Over and over Why? while, they're trying to avert suffering or avert, we're trying to, we just succumb to temptation over and over and over again, and so here's Jesus. At a high point in his life, but he's thrust into this dry place, this wilderness, and now he's hungering, and now he's thirsty, and now he's alone, and, and, and he is succeeding where we failed. You see that? When, we are thrust, when we're thrust into a dry place, when we're in a wilderness, and we're thirsty and hungry, we start, and we're alone, we start to look around, and as we look around, we say, well, I want that, or I want that. We start to desire things, and we start to question, does God really have my best interest in mind? And it gets really easy. I mean, when you're in that place, it gets really easy to just mail it in and give into to your old instincts. Some of us, it's like immediate. We don't even think about God. We don't remember God in those moments. And that's why Jesus is in the wilderness. That's why. To succeed where we failed. To succeed where you fail. What does that tell us? One, all of life is wilderness. It's filled with suffering. All of life is filled with temptation. And it's easy to think, maybe it's because I'm not living right, but look here. Jesus Jesus. One chapter before, God is doting on him and telling him, you are my son. With you, I'm well pleased. If Jesus Christ, the most perfect, most, the most perfect, most obedient person who ever walked the earth, and yet he suffers, and yet he's tempted, and he dies, then it can't be just because we're not living right. The gospel shows us that if Jesus Christ, perfect, I mean, he just loved God, and yet he suffers, then anyone can suffer. And if Jesus Christ, who always obeyed, if he's tempted, anyone can experience temptation. And if Jesus Christ, he's filled with the Spirit, if he can experience temptation and suffering, then anyone, anytime, can experience temptation and suffering. There is a the context. It doesn't matter how you live. You can live well. You can live poorly. You can live a good life or a bad life. If you don't believe this, your life, your view of, of God, your view of the world will be utterly confusing. It will be a mess in your life. Now, secondly, then what are the lessons we learn from this? We're going to look at the three temptations. Let's kind of peer into this. What do we see? See, when we fail uh, in temptation, when we fail in our suffering, we tend to blame other people. We immediately look to our circumstances. Uh, We look at the things that are happening around us. If it wasn't for this person, if it wasn't for that uh, circumstance, if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be here. In verse 1, Jesus, here's Jesus, he's full of the Spirit. And what happens? Look at his self-control. Look at his integrity. Look at his faithfulness. His circumstance, which was the desert, the people around him, I mean, it was Satan. And yet, that doesn't cause his self-control. His self-control was a fruit. It was an outcome. It was what was revealed while he was in the wilderness. Our wilderness periods in our lives oftentimes reveal What's actually inside driving us, driving our responses. Self-control is what? It is the ability. It is the ability to desire. It's the ability to choose what your priority is in the moment over what is pressing in the moment. Notice, Satan doesn't attempt, he doesn't tempt Jesus with sex and drugs. He doesn't take him to the red light district. He knows Jesus is hungry. We all get hungry. He knows Jesus is hungry. He knows Jesus has desires. And so he says, verse 3, you're the son of God. You deserve to eat. Turn that stone into bread. He doesn't use bad things. He uses good things. He doesn't use bad things or evil things. He uses necessary things in our lives. Uh, I mean, for us, what is bread? Bread is wealth, money, promotions. A lot of us, I mean, we need a home. You want a nice home. We need to live somewhere, we want a nice neighborhood. We want to be where those people are. We, we want, uh, we look at our bank accounts, oh we need more, we need more. You need a bank account, but we want more. We want to retire, we want to retire robustly. There's nothing wrong with any of those things in a sense, but Satan, he was offering these things to Jesus apart from God without ever having to go to the cross. He makes them these things that are somewhat necessary in our lives. But what he does is he tries to make them urgent. He tries to make that. He tries to usurp the priority of our relationship with God. And he says, this is more important in that moment. I mean, what is sin? When we're committing, sin is more than just an act, right? When we commit sin, in that moment, what's happening? Something has taken over as the priority over our relationship with God. And we're saying, I need this right now. I need this right now. Oh, we tell that lie to ourselves all the time. God's going to forgive me anyway, right? We say that all the time. We're making this good thing. It could be a good thing. Sometimes it's not a good thing, but it could be a good thing. Most of the time, what the, Satan's tricky. The schemes, I mean, he's going to get you with the things that you need in your life. He takes these good things, but he makes them ultimate things in our lives. Look at the three temptations. Verses three to four, he turns, turn the stone to bread. Bread throughout the Old Testament represented satisfaction enjoyment of God, being in God in a, in a way that just satisfies your soul. If Jesus actually indulged, it would have been the only time that he used his own power and his own ability to satisfy himself with a worldly thing above his relationship with God. The only time. The temptation to, is, is what? It's to use your power, to use your ability, to use your, your intelligence, to use your gifts, your talent to indulge yourself without ever having to suffer without ever having to go to the cross. Verses five to eight, this is the second temptation. You can be a king. You can be the ultimate king. He takes Jesus to this high place, and he says, I want you to look out. You can have all of this. You can be the ultimate king. You can have authority because I have authority. I'm giving it to you. I have the power to give this to you, and you can have it without God. You don't have to obey God because if you obey God, you're gonna go to the cross. You're gonna die, but you can have it without that. You can have glory and acceptance and the embrace of nations. You can have status apart from God, apart from going to the cross, apart from suffering. That was the temptation. Verses 9 to 12, what does he say? What's the temptation? Throw yourself off from here. The Bible says that God will protect you. The Bible says he will rescue you. There will be security here. You can have security without God. You can have security without listening to God, without going to the cross. Pursue satisfaction. Pursue your indulgence. Pursue your own glory. Pursue your own status. Pursue the the approval of people power. Pursue rescue and salvation and security on your own without God. One of the lessons that we see here is this. Satan's presence is like a voice that's constantly uttering and muttering in your ear. You can indulge. You can enjoy, you can have power. You can have status, you can have wealth, you can have influence, you can have security apart from God. You don't have to do this because if you do this, don't sacrifice, don't give. You can have all these things, don't listen to God. You can have more, think about it, it's logical. I have a certain amount, if I give, I have less, but you can have more if you don't give. Don't, don't sacrifice because if you sacrifice, you might lose or give up a part of yourself. You might be set back, get ahead, don't sacrifice. You see that? You can have all these things without God, apart from God, without suffering, without sacrifice, without giving, and sometimes even at other people's cost, as long as it's not at your cost. It's a fight out there, it's a wilderness. People are struggling to survive, it's a race. You should do whatever you can to survive, to get it. And if Jesus Christ listened to that voice, he loses himself, he loses his mission. He loses us. He loses his people. Everyone he loves. What was Jesus' mission? The first thing he does after he leaves the wilderness, he's filled with the Spirit, still the, Spirit, the power of the Spirit, is he goes to the synagogues and he starts to teach. Why? Because for 40 days, he's been tormented and he's heard Satan's voice, he wants to bring in a new voice. He wants to usher in a new voice for us. Because the kingdom of the devil, the kingdom of the world, always says this, you can indulge, you can have status, you can have power, you can have security apart from God at the cost of God's word, at the cost of his law, at the cost of his mission, at the cost of other people. But Jesus says this, I came to save. I came to restore you. I came to restore others so that you would experience joy, so that they would experience joy, so that you would experience the glory, my glory. You would ex- they would experience my glory so that you could experience my salvation and my security at my cost. What does that mean? Anyone, at any time, at any place, at any point in time, there's always a battle for your heart. Right now, there are voices battling for your soul. Right now, there's always a voice out there in your heart, and two voices that's constantly battling for your soul, and every step you take is either going to be one step closer to the voice of God, or one step away from the voice of God. Every step you take is going to be one step closer to hearing God's voice, or one step obeying the voice of Satan, the voice of the devil. Another thing that this this another lesson is that, that this means that in your suffering, in your anxiety, in your hurts, I mean, there are people in this room you've experienced some real trauma in life. And so there's real hurt there. And we tend to look at the world through the lens of that hurt and that pain. It's called your interpretive grid. Your interpretive grid uh, is, is uh, founded in that trauma. What temptation does is it reveals your heart desire to indulge yourself or glorify yourself or preserve yourself. Survival, apart from God, apart from what he says we need to do. And, and that's, that's painful because we don't trust God. That's the reason why. We don't trust that he's going to provide, and so we have to provide. We have to fend for ourselves. We don't trust that he loves his people. We don't trust that he's going to lead his people. We don't trust that in any given moment, maybe at a high level you kind of believe, like, I mean, in general, but in those specific moments that you're in, day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, we don't believe that God embraces us and rushes into our lives with power and purpose and love and grace, and so because we're not constantly reminded of the fact that we are children of God what do we do well we don't trust god and so we're going to look for status and approval somewhere else we're leaving love and looking for love we're leaving power capital p and looking for power and we think that's going to improve our options that's going to give us that's going to bless us with greater option and status and glory and joy when it actually reduces our options and status and glory and joy you see that That's what we're doing. This is an ancient text, and yet our problems, the problem of the human condition, our idols are still so modern and so present here. And so next, the real lesson is what? Who is the greatest enemy? Who is our greatest enemy? We say, well, this passage, clearly the devil made him do it. No, it's not. The greatest enemy, the most dangerous enemy in our lives is ourselves. It's us. On one hand, we listen to Satan's voice. We listen to his lies. But on the other hand, it's our hearts that desire. We're hungry. And we want to believe those lies. We are willing to distort the truth to avoid God. All the way back to the first book of the Bible in the book of Genesis, God tells Adam and Eve, do not... Take of this fruit of the tree, or you will die. From that moment on, as Satan creeps in and tempts Eve to take of the fruit, and he says, what hap- what's going to happen? And she doesn't say, well, the Lord told us that if I take of this fruit, we will die. He says, if you even touch it. Right off the bat, your heart is constantly wanting things and, and twisting God's words so that you start to question, does God really have me in mind? or is he just holding me back and so what just like that we believe these lies we're willing to distort the truth to avoid god to make then our fears and our anxieties and our desires that is our visible reality they say and we believe that that becomes more real that where that becomes more real than the real reality of the fact of the presence of god in our lives what is an anxious person i know I worry a lot, it's, a, it's like a, it's a pathology in my life that, that reaches to the deepest part of my soul. Dr. Ed Welch, um, he, you know, he's, a, he's a famous author and Christian counselor, he was actually a provisional member, uh, elder in our church for a long time. Dr. Ed Welch, he says this, he says, a worrier, an anxious person, is a visionary without optimism. I'm going to say it another way. A, pers- a worrier, an anxious person, is a person of vision who sees no hope. Why? Because he believed in lies and not in the promise of God. He's listening to Satan's voice and not God's voice. And he's distorted God's words, he's ignored the big truth in the wilderness. Some of y'all are in a wilderness right now? Maybe you got big decisions big pressures, big concerns, big problems, and you're kind of thrust into a dry place. Maybe at one point you were in a high place. Maybe you've always been in a low place, but your soul all of a sudden is thrust into this wilderness place where you feel alone. Even at high points in our lives, this happens. It's so powerful. Well, how are you going to resist the temptation? That's sitting and just uh, always present, speaking into your life. How do you resist that? Where do you get the power? Well, how does Jesus respond? This is the last point. How does Jesus respond? Each time there is a response in the wilderness, each time Jesus refers to God's word, each time he refers to scripture, the Bible. Each time, what that tells you is that he's been led and he remembers and he recalls and he's listening and he's obeying God's voice. And so each time he succeeds, he resists the temptation to indulge himself. He resists the temptation to glorify himself. He resists the temptation to preserve himself. And instead, you know what his glory was? Do you know what Jesus's glory was? If you've ever read the gospel accounts in the gospel according to John, before Jesus is arrested, before he's killed, He gathers his friends and he's constantly reminding several times over in the gospel according to John, especially as you arrive at the climax of his life, his ministry here on earth, as he's approaching the cross. He says this, oftentimes you'll see and you'll read, the hour has come, the time has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The time has now come for the Son of Man to be lifted up. Do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about the cross. He's he's referring to his death. Jesus' glory was not going up, it was going down to the depths. And so you arrive at the Garden of Gethsemane. It's another wilderness. You see the bookends? So he starts his ministry in the wilderness, and now he's ending his ministry in the wilderness. He's in the garden. He's at the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's dark. His friends won't stay up. His best friends won't stay up to pray for him. And so Jesus is utterly alone. And what does he tell his friends? He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Do you know why? It's because what Jesus is doing in that moment is it's starting to impress on him what he's about to face. Jesus is getting a glimpse, just a glimpse of the suffering that he's about to endure soon, very, very soon. And it's starting to weigh on him. It's overwhelming him to the point of death with sadness, why? Because he knows the father is going to depart from him. And it's excruciating for him because now he's peering into that furnace, that fire, and he's saying, I'm going to be consumed, completely consumed. This is the ultimate consumption. The Father is going to leave me. And that he's starting to experience. He says, to the point of death. So he's just barely looking into the glimpse of what's going to happen in a few short hours, and he's saying, this is going to destroy me. You don't think he was being tempted? Oh, so he prays to the Father. He prays, Father, will you please let this cup, the cup that he's referring to is the cup of God's wrath, will you let this cup pass from me? This is excruciating. I cannot endure this. But then he comes back and he says, but not my will. Yours be done. I will obey. I'm going to trust in your promise. And I'm going to And on the cross, when Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know, even there, think about this. It's not looking good for Jesus. Jesus is relying on a promise. And as he's relying on this promise, he's on the cross and he's suffering and he's dying. He's bleeding. He's just covered in blood, beaten up. His body is just broken. The sky has grown dark. Nobody can see. Darkness covers the land. The earth is shaking. The rocks are splitting. They say that the holy temple curtain tore in two from top to bottom. The world is coming undone. Everything is falling apart around him. People are mocking him and jeering him, and they're just, just hurling insults at him, taunting him. If you are who you say you are, oh, it's tempting. If you are who you say you are, Come down. I mean, if you say you are who you are, I mean, if you are who you say you are, you have the power to get away from this. Do it. End the suffering. It's tempting. You know what he was doing when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was reciting scripture. Psalm 22, if you go to Psalm 22 and read it, it's a beautiful psalm. But it starts out, I've been forsaken by God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you think it's just going to be this, this lament where he's just beaten up and he is. Psalm 22 pretty much walks you through the suffering of Jesus while he's on the cross. And yet it ends with glorious victory. It ends with praise. You know what he was doing on the cross? He was worshiping. He was reciting scripture. In the moment, this is the ultimate wilderness and he is he is just enraptured in the word of God, and so he's spitting out. That's what's planted deep, so that's what's coming out. For us, our anxieties get planted deep. What comes out? I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Does Jesus take matters in his own hands? No. Look, it's not looking good for him. It's bleak. It's bad. What would possess him to trust still? And now he sees the Father departing from him. He has every reason not to trust. You don't think those voices were loud? They were loud. They were screaming at him. Come down. And yet he trusts. And he's just immersed in the word and just trusting in the promise of God. Because in Psalm 22, we see the justification of of God's people, the salvation of God's people through the death of the suffering of this person. So he is just... Trusting that, yes, God has sent me here. I will fulfill and I will obey God's word. To the end, as he sees the father depart, I'm still going to obey. I'm still going to trust. That was the faithfulness of Jesus. And so he forsakes the bread and then becomes our bread of life. So he chooses the priority of obeying God even as God is departing from him and he chooses to obey that mission over what was pressing in that moment, which is his pain, which we, none of us want pain. We're always trying to avert pain from our lives and yet Jesus is in the wilderness, in the pain and he chooses the priority of loving God and obeying God. He forsakes the mountaintop, that great mountaintop that Satan offered him And you know what he takes on? The hill of Calvary. There's nothing from pain and blood and death and suffering. He forsakes the angels. Verse 11, jump. Because what's going to happen is the angels are going to lift you up in their hands so that you will not even strike your foot. And instead of being lifted up by the angels, he was lifted up onto a cross. And they struck his foot, didn't they? They struck his foot with a nail. So the righteousness of God receives the wrath of God. The holiness of God receives the hell of God. What is hell? What does it say that Jesus went to hell? Jesus suffered hell on the cross. Hell is complete separation from God. That is the furnace that Jesus was peering into at Gethsemane. That is what he was experiencing on the cross. That was the ultimate suffering, the ultimate temptation to get away from, and yet he absorbed it in full The perfection of God received the penalty of our sins in our place. And Jesus passes every test. Every test. And so when he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember the baptism of Jesus? He's being baptized. The Spirit of God descends on him like a dove and God is just doting on him and saying with you I'm well pleased and now on the cross what is he crying out? I've been forsaken by God. I've been taken by God. I've lost the Father and with losing the Father that means I've lost my joy and my satisfaction and my glory and my status and the embrace of God and the approval of God the love of God the security of God. Salvation. Salvation from God. I've lost my ultimate wealth. I've lost the ultimate place, the ultimate home. And so the cross becomes my ultimate wilderness, the ultimate desert. And so Psalm 22, he says that my throat is pretty much, that's what the psalmist says, is parched. He cries out, I thirst. He's reciting scripture, you see? I'm lost on the cross. And so he's hungering for God. I thirst. And he did it all alone. The ultimate wilderness. Why? So that we can indulge in the goodness of God. So that we can trust. The cross tells us something. One, everything God says about our sin is true. That the wages of sin is death. That's what the Bible says about our sinfulness. And so Jesus dies. The cross also tells us that everything we know about God is true, that he is loving and faithful and good, and that he is patient, long-suffering, because we just grieve him and fail every test. So what does Jesus do? He goes into the wilderness, the ultimate wilderness, and suffers the ultimate tests, and he passes everything in full beautifully, perfectly, The cross is the eternal wilderness and Jesus bears it all and he bears it alone for his people so that in union with him, when we see all those phrases in the Bible in the New Testament where it says, in Christ, in Christ, you are in Christ, that's talking about union. You are in union with Christ because he passed the test as our representative. We passed the test. We are in union with him. Because he suffered, we suffered. Because he died, it means we died in him. And because he passed every test, we passed every test. And so we receive what Jesus deserved. Because he deserves the satisfaction and the glory and the salvation, we receive the satisfaction of being in him, the glory of being in him, and the salvation if we are in him. Some of us, we say, well... But why am I changing so slow? I mean, it's really hard, Pastor. It makes me question whether or not that promise is for me. Friends, I need to remind you. Listen. And you need to listen to this. It's really hard. Change is hard. Change is slow. For most people, change is really slow. It would be impossible without what Jesus did on the cross. That is the freedom. In Jesus, you know what a Christian is? In Jesus, you have the fullness of the presence of God in you. That's what it means to be a Christian. There's no power. There's no, like, magical power that you receive. There's no magical power that you need to earn. Well, now I'm saved, so now I've got to earn something else, a second kind of blessing. There's none of that. Being a Christian means you are full of the Spirit. You are full of God's presence in your life. You have that in you right now. The same power that conceived Jesus, He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that power resides with you in you. You get that? That is power. That's real power. It defeated death, friends. It, de- it defeated death. That's what it means to be a Christian. That gives you power. It gives you courage to resist temptation, to endure suffering, to obey God, to remember. Faith is really what? Faith is what God gives you, in a sense, rem- that remembrance of God's word in those moments. That's the application of faith. So when you obey, you're responding to the voice of God. Faith is that, that intimate connection that we have with God through Jesus, so that you can hear his voice and apply it in your life. God resides in you. Some of us here, we're hungering for something. You're thirsting for something, some sort of satisfaction, something, and we resort to very, very, (laughs) I mean, unsatisfactory means of looking for meaning and joy and power in our lives. Some of us were hungry. Some of us you're just looking to be embraced, to be loved. Some of us just you haven't had a lot of security in your life or stability, you're just looking for that ground, that solid rock. Friends, this is the only satisfaction and glory and power and security that you need. This is the real reality, the gospel. And think about this: Jesus. He resisted, but he did it knowing that it would happen through his obedience. He didn't suffer because he was disobedient. He suffered because he was obedient, and yet he still did it gladly. And he resisted every temptation to not indulge. To indulge. Look at the love of Jesus. Treasure his word. Treasure his promises. So much that Jesus would rather lose his own life than to lose you. Look, you're not going to just resist temptation because Jesus' opinion needs to be You know, important, it needs to be enough. (laughs) That's not how you're gonna resist temptation. I just need Jesus' love for me and his opinion of me. What Jesus thinks of me has to be more important. That's not what's gonna help you. You know, if you if that's the way you go, another woman's love, another man's love, your boss's love, some leader's love, some other person's love is gonna become more important in the moment. There's gonna be an urgent need, a pressing need for you. That's why we fall. You know what Satan's greatest temptation was? Look what he says to Jesus, he uses the Bible. I mean, if you're a child of God, God's going to help you. So do this. It makes us rationalize our sin. Do it. God's going to forgive you. He saved you, right? Do it. That's not going to help you. The cross, let the cross be your assurance. You have God's presence in full. Listen to his word. Listen to his voice. Look to the love of Jesus. Look to the sacrifice of Jesus. And in, that, in your moment, in that moment in the wilderness, remember that. Preach it to yourself until it overwhelms and consumes your temptation. Don't just avoid it. Don't neglect it and come back and be like, oh, I forgot again. Remember it. That's why we hide God's word in our souls. Recite it. Memorize it. Let it be in front of you every day. The importance of God's word. Remember, Jesus is suffering for you. So you have greater satisfaction and greater glory and a greater security. Let that be your validation in life. Let the gospel just completely consume every temptation as you endure. There's power there, it's part of His promise. And if He promised all these things, and if He promises to save, and sure He promises that there's power there in your temptation, it's real, it's true, it's yours. In Jesus, trust it. Let's pray.